Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled Closing In on Improved Quality of Life for Patients with Eosinophilic Esophagitis by Targeting Type 2 Inflammation. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported by an independent medical educational grant from Regeneron Pharmaceuticals Incorporated and Sanofi. Hello, my name is Dr. Mark Rothenberg, and I'm a professor at Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center and also the director of the Division of Allergy and Immunology. Thank you for joining me for our program, Closing In on Improved Quality of Life for Patients with Eosinophilic Esophagitis by Targeting Type 2 Inflammation. Let's start by talking about the rationale for targeting type 2 inflammation in this disease. First, this is a food antigen-driven process, leading to inflammation of the esophagus. The esophageal epithelial cells are a source of pro-atopic cytokines, most notably thymuxtroma lymphopoietin, or TSLP, as well as interleukin-33. TSLP and interleukin-33 both target the innate immune system and regulate the development of adaptive immunity triggered by T-regulatory cells, as well as type 2 TH2 cells that liberate the type 2 cytokines, in particular IL-4, IL-5, and IL-13. The Treg cells generate cytokines that can contribute to some of the pathophysiology, including tissue remodeling, most notably TGF-beta. Importantly, IL-4 and IL-13, predominantly IL-13, cause a variety of changes in the tissue that include the loss of barrier function, eosinophilic inflammation, and tissue remodeling. Targeted therapies block some of these cytokines like IL-4 and IL-13, and they can be very effective in treating the disease. Let's talk about the therapies that target TH2 inflammation. Dupilumab is an antibody that targets the IL-4 receptor alpha, which is the shared receptor for IL-4 and IL-13. This drug has now received approval for the treatment of adults and adolescents with EOE. And it's a major step forward in that this is the first drug approved by the FDA for this disease. Zindacumab is a neutralizing antibody against IL-13. Lirintelumab is also an antibody. It targets the Siglic A protein, which is a receptor that is predominantly expressed on eosinophils and mast cells. It leads to antibody-dependent cellular cytotoxicity, which basically means that the antibody depletes the eosinophils. Benralizumab binds to the IL-5 receptor, thereby blocking the binding of the acidal growth factor IL-5. But importantly, benralizumab also mediates antibody-dependent cellular cytotoxicity, resulting in eosinophil depletion. Finally, we have etracinamide, which blocks a receptor called the S1P receptor. It modulates the activity of this receptor and leads to a reduction in immunocytes. So some very exciting data are indeed emerging about targeting these molecules and pathogenic steps, as well as the cells involved in eosinophilic esophagitis. Early focus has been on type 2 inflammatory responses, and dupilumab has received approval, which is hopefully the first of several new treatments for this disease. In the next section, I will look at the latest efficacy data for these biologics. In this session, let's discuss the clinical data for biologics in patients with eosinophilic esophagitis. Dupilumab was studied in the Phase 3 Liberty EOE Treat randomized control trial. The important symptom of dysphagia was improved, particularly when dupilumab was given weekly. Dupilumab given every two weeks did not have a substantial effect on dysphagia, emphasizing the importance of weekly dosing. 
The histological response was also dramatic compared with placebo and was evident in both patient groups, even those receiving the medication every week and every other week. Zindacumab was studied in the phase two HEROES trial. With placebo, there was no change in the baseline eosinophil counts, but a substantial and significant change with reduction in esophageal eosinophils was seen with both low-dose and high-dose zindacumab. With the secondary endpoint of endoscopic outcomes again, no change with placebo, but significant and robust improvement in endoscopic activity with both low- and high-dose syndacumab. The success of syndacumab in this Phase two trial has led to an ongoing Phase three trial that is currently enrolling patients. Lorentelumab was studied in the Phase two three Cryptos trial, and there was no statistically significant difference between placebo and both low- and high-dose lorentelumab in terms of the clinical symptoms. Nevertheless, the histological response was dramatic. In this case, both doses of the drug had a near 90% reduction in eosinophils, highlighting the effectiveness of this drug in terms of depleting eosinophils. So when considering the recent FDA approval of dupilumab for eosinophilic esophagitis and the emergence of a number of other Phase two and Phase three clinical trials for biologics, we see the emergence of biologics and small molecules for the treatment of EOE in our patients. This is broadening the available therapeutic options beyond what we've been doing for the last 20 years. In the next session, let's discuss the safety data associated with these biologics. In this session, let's discuss the safety data for biologics in patients with eosinophilic esophagitis. Data from the Liberty EOE Treat Study demonstrated that dupilumab was very well tolerated and had a safety profile consistent with what we have seen in other indications. The most common treatment emergent adverse event associated with the drug was injection site reactions in 38% of the patients receiving dupilumab, with 33% for placebo. There was also a slightly higher rate of upper respiratory infections compared with placebo. Otherwise, the drug was deemed to be very safe with similar side effects compared with placebo. Similar to dupilumab, the safety profile for syndacumab shows that it is a very safe drug. Very few adverse effects were reported. Low rates of upper respiratory infections, arthralgias, nasal pharyngitis, and injection site reaction were identified with the active drug. Numerically, these adverse events were greater than with the placebo, but all rates were quite low. In allergy, a number of biologics are emerging, including omelizumab, benralizumab, dupilumab, mepolizumab, and reslizumab. And we have a lot more safety data over several years for other atopic diseases that are treated with dupilumab. It is gratifying to see that these drugs are very well tolerated. They're not associated with an immunocompromised state, and we're not seeing increased risks for infections, and there's no black box warning on these drugs. By blocking type 2 immunity with the emerging biologics, we're not seeing the same side effects that we see with other biologics targeting type 1 immunity that we've been using for gastrointestinal diseases, like TNF inhibitors for inflammatory bowel disease, which has a broader effect on the immune system. Although dupilumab was recently approved and zidacumab is not yet approved, the reassuring safety profiles, along with their efficacy, suggest that these treatments will fill an important unmet need for our patients with eosinophilic esophagitis, especially for patients who are unable to take conventional therapies due to side effects or those who cannot take steroids or comply with the six-food elimination diet. In summary, Biologics for eosinophilic esophagitis appear to be well-tolerated, providing much-needed, effective, and safe options for these patients. In the next session, let's discuss individualizing therapy for patients with EOE.
In this session, we'll look at factors that may influence the selection of treatment for patients with EOE. With the recent approval of dupilumab for EOE, the question is how to position it relative to other therapeutics. The FDA approval for dupilumab is only for patients with eosinophilic esophagitis or age 12 and older and weigh at least 40 kilograms. It doesn't stipulate that the patient failed diet therapy or medical therapy prior to the use of dupilumab. However, insurance companies are putting up some barriers to using dupilumab as a first-line agent. In my practice, we've been sticking to the basic structure of the phase three clinical trial with dupilumab and recommending it for patients who have already tried conventional therapies. As part of the Liberty EOE 3 trial, patients should use two to three months of high-dose proton pump inhibitor therapy up front. Those patients who respond should be kept on PPI therapy. If they don't respond, then there should be a discussion with the patient about the preference for diet therapy or a different medical therapy, including dupilumab. Common comorbidities are also associated with eosinophilic esophagitis. Nearly 45% of patients have coexisting asthma, and atopic dermatitis is also enriched in this population. Dupilumab is also approved for asthma and atopic dermatitis. Interestingly, in those diseases, the approved dosing is every other week, and for EOE, it's once per week. If you're starting dupilumab for EOE, weakling dosing is preferable because that's where the clinical efficacy was demonstrated. In patients who have been using dupilumab for these other type 2 comorbidities, if their EOE is well controlled, then there's likely really no reason to escalate the dosing. Patients with EOE benefit from a multidisciplinary management approach to optimize outcomes. This involves a series of healthcare providers, including primary care providers, gastroenterologists, and allergists. Allergists typically work in conjunction with the gastroenterologist to manage the atopic manifestation of the disease. Sometimes dermatologists are involved because EOE is highly associated with atopic germ. The involvement of dietitians is important because the disease often involves dietary modifications. Patients will sometimes present acutely to the emergency department with food impactions. So emergency room doctors need to work in collaboration with other healthcare providers. Finally, pathologists are absolutely essential to analyze the biopsies microscopically and count the number of eosinophils. In summary, EOE is best managed using a multidisciplinary approach, and dubilumab is a biologic therapy that can now be added to a moratorium of therapies for EOE and is also effective in treating other type 2 comorbidities. Next, let's answer some learner questions. Let's answer some questions posed by learners. Should dupilumab only be reserved for patients with other treatment failures? While there's no labeling that says that other therapies must fail to start dupilumab, we typically start with PPI therapy and consider alternatives if PPIs fail. However, there is a gray zone about how to define response or failure. So when we say a medical therapy failed, what was the dose that was used? Was the patient actually taking it the way it was intended? Sometimes when people talk about failure, they're not satisfied with the therapy or the diet restrictions. Or it could be that they have improved, but they are still not completely healed. In addition, patients can have histological remission, but still have clinical symptoms. Often in these cases, dysphagia has been driven by a fibrotic structure. So the answer is to perform a dilation, but new trials may show other reasons for failure of symptoms to relieve despite robust reductions in eosinophil counts. Here is a question about the success of diet therapy. Elemental diets are quite effective, but infrequently used compared to specific energy and elimination diets. Six food elimination diets can be quite effective, 
Anywhere from 50 to 80% of patients respond in short-term clinical trials. Some data that are emerging indicate that avoiding milk alone can have effective clinical and histological effects in at least 30% of patients with EOE. Here is another question. If a patient is responding to PPI therapy, can it be continued on a long-term basis? And the answer is yes. We've had decades of experience with PPI therapy, but the efficacy is not great for EOE, about 30 to 40% at most. But when it works, it works well. And the majority of patients who initially respond to PPIs continue to respond. Finally, does dupilumab reverse fibrosis? Dupilumab does reverse Marcus of fibrosis, particularly the genetic expression of the profibrotic genes, which would indicate that it would be antifibrotic and reverse a fibrosonotic state, but the extent of that needs to be determined. A phase two clinical trial showed that dupilumab could lead to significant improvement in esophageal luminal diameter or structure formation. Whether that's due to the reduction in inflammation or fibrosis is not clear, but it gives us hope that we can reduce the number of dilations we have to do for our patients. Thanks to our learners for their great questions. In conclusion, the pathogenesis of eosinophilic esophagitis is associated with type 2 immune system, and the emerging number of drugs targeting the system offers great opportunities to improve the quality of life of our patients. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.